Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 really sums up the theme of this book, to run with endurance, to not quit, to continue on, writing to Jewish believers who may have been tempted to go back to Judaism as pressures were mounting, their property had been seized, persecution was increasing, and here we get to the climax uh, and a sense of the book in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. We walk through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which reminded the readers that they were a, another link in the chain, a long line of faithful saints before him who had walked and done the things that God had commanded them by faith. Not perfect men or women, as this list includes those who sometimes we scratch our heads about, but people who, in the good that they did, did it by faith in the promises of God. And so now in Hebrews chapter 12, he's going to tell us how to run on purpose. How to run on purpose. And in verse 3, he's going to tell us that this is a battle of the soul. The stakes are high. He gives us the athletic image of of running. It is a common one in the New Testament. Paul in Acts 20-24 talks about the race he had run. In 2 Timothy 4-7 at the end of his life, he talks about the fight that he had fought, uh, the course that he had run. In 1 Corinthians 9, he brings up that athletic image again of of a a contest. And in Galatians, he talks to the Galatians and tells them, you started out well, now finish well, run well. And it tells us that if you have professed faith in Christ, you have signed up for a race. You have not signed up to be a spectator in the stands. You have signed up to be a participant by God's grace in the race. And if you don't finish, if you shrink back, as the language he uses in other passages like chapter 10 and chapter 6, you are a spectator who walked on and not had real faith. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, if you are alive in this room right now, and you profess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are still in this race. It doesn't matter if you're 99 years old or if you're just starting off. You are still in this race. And the end of this race is chapter 11, verse 6. The one who is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long you said you were a Christian. You are to run a race, according to this passage, and you are to not quit. You are to press hard into Christ. There are three things I'd like us to see from this passage. And they all begin with the word no. And the first is know the cost. Know the cost. Uh, look how he describes the Christian life. You may notice I'm not necessarily going in order here in the verses, uh, but I'm going in order of the theme that will build up to uh, the, the, the great um, uh, point he wants to get across. But first of all, know the cost. Look how he describes the Christian life. <clears throat> in verse uh, 1 he says, Let us run with endurance, patience, the race that is set before us. That word race is the idea of a contest. It's the Greek word agone, which you might 
understand a little bit from. Uh, uh, here, here the English word agony. Uh, there is a cost in this Christian life, a cost in this race. The gospel is free. There is a, a cost. There's a seeming paradox of that, isn't it? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in this Christian race, he tells us, first of all, what to reject. What to reject. Notice he says in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight. That word weight is... Translated, uh, it can be translated in a variety of ways. Some have translated it as the idea of distractions, uh, encumbrances, um, <clears throat> uh, things that uh, uh, may not be sinful in and of themselves, but they limit the ability to run effectively. So those weights are gauged and judged by if they are limiting your running in the race. This word weight here is used in other Greek language for excessive physical weight. Like, yeah, I need to lose some Thanksgiving weight here. Uh, Or also for a burdensome load, like I'm carrying something very heavy. Uh, In this context, it's possible it's referring to extra clothes. Uh, and running in a race that you don't need, uh, and anything which that handicaps us. If you were to go to the Boston Marathon, uh, the 2017 Boston Marathon, or if you remember back to the 2016 Boston Marathon, uh, you will see people in their warm-ups uh, jogging around before the race, warming up, stretching, they're moving all around, and then when it's time, or just about before the race, all of a sudden you're going to see people start throwing off clothes. Warm-ups... Uh, hats, uh, maybe gloves, whatever. Uh, they, they are, they, whatever they think is going to impede their race, it's just shedding clothing there in the streets. Because they want their running to be unaffected. They want to be lean. And there's something that this verse is telling us as believers, that there are things that can be good things but out of balance in our lives. Are there things that are out of balance that are standing in the way of you running the race of godliness and His purpose for you to glorify Him and make disciples and love Him and influence others for Christ, become like Him? Sometimes I wonder, maybe it is a certain lifestyle in our in our uh, context that you desire, and you have deceived yourself thinking that you're doing it for your family, and the pressure and the hours are taking you off the course of your calling, uh, perhaps as a husband, or the calling of your wife, uh, to your wife, the calling as a father to your children, or the calling as a wife, uh, or as a mother to your children. Or maybe there's something there that is, that is taking your, your, your focus off your calling as a member of, of, of South Hope to strengthen and to build up and expand the social church. It could be something even wonderful and good like family. I noticed here in Maine a lot of times family uh, 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 begins to, to seep in and usurp um, your, your, your church family sometimes. Uh, the bride who Jesus shed his blood for seems to get the back burner and low priority and pushed to the bottom. And pretty soon you notice people become more and more inconsistent 
And pretty soon it's more of a surprise with your church family when you're there than when you're not. When you're with your church family. And I'm not just talking about church attendance, but a life as a church. It could be something wonderful like a favorite recreation or a hobby uh, or a project that is sucking up too much of your life and you are missing your calling. These things that beckon us away from the task of glorifying God by becoming like Jesus and making disciples. And instead of using those platforms for good and God's glory to make disciples and become like Him, uh, they have become the thing. I was thinking about uh, this last year. Um, this probably 5% of you understand this these, 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 uh, this, this, this next word, but fantasy football. Uh, fantasy football is where uh, you pick a, 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 a team from NFL players and you make a team and your desire is for those NFL players to do well in their appropriate games because that gives you points and you can play in a league and beat other teams. And, uh, and, and, and as, I was, as I was doing that last year, I began to realize the amount of time I was putting into that. Researching the players who would be good picks because they were playing against this particular defense uh, or this particular defense that was playing against this horrible offense and so choosing it. And, 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 and it sucked up my time. And I won both of my fantasy leagues last year. And I had nothing to show for it. I was in Sam's league and he didn't give me a trophy. Nothing. <laughs> yes. Obviously it's not as important, is it? <clears throat> um, but I was convicted about that. The amount of time that I would spend on that. And for what? For what? It wasn't something that was necessarily bad. But it was not something that was helping me run the race. Perhaps you've had experiences like this in your own life. You realize it's not bad. Other people can do it. This isn't for me. This is holding me back. Um, Or perhaps right now the Lord's putting his finger on something. Let us lay aside every weight. God has told us clearly to lay it aside so that you can run well. If it is keeping you from running well, you need to reject it. It needs to be laid aside. But notice that he ratchets it up a little bit and he says, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That's that's the idea of, of let us lay aside every entangling sin. It's one thing to have something that's slowing us down. It's another thing to be all tangled up in a net and try to run. Uh, before we know where we are, we've been tripped up and hurled to the ground in a race that seemed to have all the possibilities of a victory. Entangled, if you're entangled in a race, you have problems. Try running a race when your shoelaces are tied together, right? Uh, when you're tangled up, at first it might be no, not as noticeable until you try to run. And maybe, maybe one of the reasons you might have a problem recognizing and identifying a sin that you need to lay aside is because you're not running. Because you notice that sin when you're running, don't you? You notice things that are entangling you when you try to move for the Lord. If I'm still, I don't notice the entangling as much. I can sit in my easy chair with my shoelaces tied and it's not going to affect my life very much, is it? But when I try to run and I try to obey the Lord, it becomes more and more obvious that 
things that need to be laid aside. You see, sin is always deadly. It's always deadly. No matter how it's marketed to us, isn't it? It will always rule as a master. It is not content to be just a servant. It will eat you while you are tasting it. Sin can keep you from running. And I wonder this morning, what sin is keeping you from running? What's holding you back? Uh, What are you flailing all over the place with and stuck and maybe it seems you can't get out of it? What is it with you? Why are you tired spiritually? Why do you not have the strength of Christ? What is keeping you out of the Word and the fuel for life and a prayer life with Him? What in your life is, is, is holding you back? And why are you surprised that you're struggling? When you are holding on to something in your heart, something that you are telling the Lord is more important to Him, who gave His precious blood for you, that is clearly, we're talking about sin here now, okay? We're talking about something that is clearly contrary to the will of God and keeping you from running. You know what Jesus says about that? Cut it off. Take it off. Remove it. Uh, Cut it off. Lay it aside in the words of this passage. Put it off. Or as Paul says in Romans, put it to death by the Spirit. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Renew your mind in Christ. Put on Christ. Run on purpose. Repent of that sin. Uh, Confess that sin. Find help with others in that sin. Uh, uh, and, And run on Purpose. Lay aside weights. Lay aside every entangling sin. Um, thirdly, notice in verse 3, he says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And here's his point. Lest you all, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Fight weariness and quitting. Remember what Paul says at the end of that great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, Sometimes abounding, right? So always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Fight weariness and quitting. Uh, it, it may, maybe some of you are discouraged and, and slowing down and, 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 and your feet now feel like they're barely, barely shuffling in the race. And maybe you're, you're tempted to see if there's more satisfaction in pursuing other things. And I would tell you, there's not. There's not. Fight it. The Christian life is a race. It is a fight. But he does not just tell us what to reject. He also tells us uh, to, to, uh, how to run. How to run. So we need to know the cost. The, the, the cost of this race. How to run. Uh, the, the main demand is what he says at the end of verse 1. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the grammar and the way this verse is written, this is the main verb and everything else comes off of this. This is the backbone of this passage here. Uh, that is the main verb. This is the action of everything he is saying. This is the backbone, the point of what he's saying. He's saying, run the race with patience. In other words, run the race and don't quit. Run, 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 and keep running, and don't stop until you cross the finish line in heaven. Don't stop until you're home, church. And so he says, let us run with endurance. Take up our cross. 
What is endurance in the Christian life? Endurance, somebody said, is this. It is obedience to God in a long direction. Obedience to God in a long direction. The disciples of Christ must realize that to follow in His steps is to experience opposition from even family members. It is to experience pain. It is to experience suffering. It is to experience rejection. And perhaps there's people here who may have been saved a long time, but if you're honest today, you have slowed to barely a crawl. Your inner man... Though your outward is perishing, your inner man is not being renewed day by day. In fact, your inner man is, being, is beginning to fade like your outward man. And that is a tragedy. When Christ took you off the slave market of sin, and you were an orphan, ragged and filthy, He pledged His life for you. He made you His bride. He says, I, Christ, take you to be my bride. And before my Father and these witnesses, I promise to be a faithful and a true husband to you as my bride. And the offer of the gospel is, will you have Christ to be your bride? Your husband. Bride, will you take Christ to be your husband? Christ promised to love to comfort, to keep, and to forsake all others and remain true to his bride as long as he shall both as long as he shall live, which is for eternity. And he says, With this ring I wed and all my riches in heaven I give you in sickness and in health and poverty or in wealth, even after death, which brings us face to face. Christ pledged to you his life. Were you serious when you said to Christ For better, for worse, I do. For sickness and health. He was. Will you finish strong? Or I feel that there might be people who are quitting just before the finish line. What are you living for? Now this is what God has said we are to do as true Christians. But the glorious thing about the Word of God is that God never commands us without providing the means and the power to do this. To what to reject and how to run, but He gives us the power to do His will. And I can tell you what needs to be laid aside and how we're to run and what the race looks like, but there is no power until there is gospel. And the, and the, and, 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 and the power here is Jesus, the gospel, the cross. There is no strength in us until there is Christ, because without Him we can do nothing. And that's where the writer is taking us. But first, notice, secondly... Those who have gone before us. Notice the company. We need to know the company we are in. The company we are in. He says in the beginning of verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And the picture here is not like we are walking into a stadium and they were all watching us run our race. That's not the idea here. The idea here is we're more in the locker room And we are seeing the pictures of those Hall of Famers or those who have run before us. In other words, we are are, the eyes of our uh, of us must be on Jesus Christ. But one of the ways we can look to Jesus Christ is seeing the lives of others who've gone before us, and that's why the body is so important. We can look to each other for for strength as well. 
Uh, know the company. He's talked about uh, Moses and Abel, uh, people, Abraham, who, who, have, who have believed God's word, who had the riches of Egypt like Moses, but traded them in for something that he couldn't see that was eternal, that would live long after he died. Know the company. And that's why Hebrews 11 was written. Say, yes, by God's grace, by faith, these people walk the path, and He has linked you in the path, but He has given you something even better that they didn't receive at the end of chapter 11. They didn't receive the promise of Christ. Christ has come. We have fully received Him. So know the company. But thirdly, know the Christ. Know the Christ. Here's the beauty here of the power, the strength to run this race. He says, looking unto, and he says, Jesus. He says, Jesus. He doesn't say Christ, the Messiah. He says, Jesus. Looking unto Joshua, Yeshua. Uh, look, and he's bringing attention to Jesus' humanity. Jesus. Jesus, the one who was fully man. Sometimes we think that Jesus didn't really face temptation because he was, he was God. But Jesus faced a more legitimate temptation and trials than you and I did. Because he came from perfection to glory. From glory to a, to a, to a, to a broken earth. Uh, Jesus' temptations built every time he resisted it. Jesus also had to use the same means that you and I are called to use to come to a life of faith. The promises of the Word of God, what God had revealed, prayer. And so we must look to Jesus, the compassionate man. You saw that in chapter 2, and I'm not going to repeat that here earlier this year, but Jesus, the man, the God-man, Jesus triumphed by the same resources that we have available. The power of the Word of God, the prayer, His people, and, uh, and uh, he, he triumphed in His strength. So can we. But look how He's described. He's described as the author and finisher of our faith. The idea of author is the idea of trailblazer, pioneer. Jesus is the victorious pioneer. He is the victorious pioneer. He, first of all, endured the cross. He didn't just endure going without a meal. He endured the cross. Philippians 2 says that was the extent of his, of his suffering. He endured the cross. He, 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 he realized he must have the cross before the promise and reward of victory, the crown. Satan said, here have the crown, you can bypass the cross in the wilderness. And Jesus said, I must take the path of the cross. That is the path to the crown. Jesus takes the cross. And this is why it is the gospel that fuels our ability to run the race. Jesus is the effective priest. The effective priest. He's the only one who can give us the cleansing, the power that we need. He endured the cross. Notice it also says, um, despising the shame. He took the curse of a criminal's death. He became sin. He was forsaken by his father. He despised the shame. And on the other side, he received the crown. The devil's lie is that when you let go of things and give them to God, you get nothing. 
But the reality and the truth is this. You lose nothing when you give all to Christ. And you gain everything when you give all to Christ. Despising the shame. And also in verse 3, look at him as the pioneer of faith. The one who endured such contradiction or hostility of sinners against himself. This is one who has walked the path. In England, they have uh, hedges that separate their fields. So if you have a a sheep farm, you have these hedges that separate your field from the neighbors. And these hedges are made up of bushes and thickets and brambles. And one, one English pastor said that Jesus Christ is like our head. He's like the one who poked his head through those brambles to get through to the other side. And once you get your head through those prickly brambles, you know the rest of your body can follow that. It's when you get the head through that you know everything's going to be okay. And Jesus Christ is like the head of the church. He has made His way through suffering. He has received the crown of glory. If He has made it through the pioneer, the trailblazer of their faith, His body will follow Him through. That's the promise of the resurrection. He is, that's why it says, He is the author and finisher of our faith. That's the idea of completion. If I said to you, when you were going through difficult times, you know, Paul suffered in jail, and Jesus died on the cross, so you can get through it. Because they faced hard things too. It wouldn't be much encouragement, would it? It would be a little bit, because you know other people would be experiencing things uh, that you might be experiencing. But if I said, they went through it, and they received the crown on the other side, it changes it, doesn't it? Jesus is the resurrected Messiah. The resurrection and His reign uh, shows us that there is power and believers are required to fix their attention on Jesus because He is the only perfecter. He brings the faith of the saints and ours to completion. He makes it all perfect and He alone. Yes, our, our contributions are important, but He is the one who is Behind us. He is the engine of our faith. Our experiences can be inspiring, can be illuminating. We had Kathy share with us how the Lord has helped her through this, and that is so helpful to us. But ultimately, we rely on Him. He ran the greatest race to its finish. And then notice also how He was able to do this. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Here we have the servant who endured the cross. Why? Because he had a joy that he knew was on the other side. What was that joy? Well, I believe it, it's a couple things. Uh, he, he, he says, my meat is to do the will of my father. So he knew that to please his father uh, was, it was a source of pleasure for him. But the joy that was set before him was also what he says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2 verse 10 of bringing many sons to glory and standing amongst the redeemed and the ransom and presenting them to their father as the reward of his suffering. So the joy of obeying his father's will and the joy of presenting his bride before his father that we might become the righteousness of Christ before him he knew the outcome was greater than the agony. 
And look what it says at the end of verse 2. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is why he is the completer of our faith. The enthroned Lord. He's at the throne of God. His redemptive work is complete. There is nothing else He needs to do to complete redemption. And He awaits for the consummation of the ages when He will return and that moment when every tongue will confess His Lordship. These first century believers would face Caesar and his censorship to his Lordship. But they could take heart from the fact that their destiny was not in the hands of Caesar. Their frail lives were in the strong hands of Jesus, the enthroned Lord. Chapter 1 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I was thinking about this passage as I close here, and I was reflecting back a couple years now uh, to Ellie Rowell. And... um, one who ran her race and ran across the finish line. Probably kept running all the way to Jesus um, here. And I remember being so uh, devastated by, by her, um, her death. And then I thought, another sheep made it home to Jesus and didn't quit along the way. And it was encouraging to me. Not because I had very much to do with that. but because the promises of God were true. And if we would call these witnesses who have walked and run the race back to us, they would tell us this life on earth is hard. It's not worth it, right? No. They would say, don't sacrifice on the altar of the temporal, right? They would say, Give your life for eternity. It is so worth it and more, wouldn't they? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. For every look at your own heart, take ten looks at Christ. 